First of all, I want to say it is illegal to turn in your Bibles right now. It's not often you hear a preacher say that, and you will understand why. But do not turn in your Bible. Can we agree that? I will say when you can turn in your Bible, but do not. So, yes, I good. You see, you're kind of hiding it, kind of. <laughs> yes. You know, there are many things, when I read about the first Christians, there are many things that fascinate me, and many things that are worth noticing. But today I want to talk about a specific character trait about the first Christians. And I'm going to start with a little test. Are you ready for a test? I know many of you maybe are tired of tests. Oh, no. Test, now I come to church and there is another test. Well, this is a good test. I'm going to be reading, we're going to be reading these three scriptures. And I'm going to warn you already, there is one word wrong in each and every one of this. You shouldn't often do that as a preacher. You know, that's kind of called heresy. But you know, there is one word wrong in each of every one of these uh, scriptures. Your job is to find out what word is wrong. Acts 4.13 Now when they saw the wisdom of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. Do you catch what is the wrong word? Acts 4.29 Now... Lord, look at their threats and grant. This is after they have been beaten. They have been kind of been punished for preaching in the name of Jesus. So, so you know, they need help. So they pray. Now, Lord, look at their threats and grant your servants that with wisdom they might speak your word. Do you know which word is wrong? One of these words are wrong. I see people are wondering like, ah, Acts 4.31, this is, they are praying together. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with wisdom. Is somebody starting to get it? Wisdom? Is wisdom wrong? I thought wisdom was a good thing. But yes, that is true. Wisdom is the wrong word in all of these sentences. And the reason why I put in wisdom there instead of the word that it actually is, because shall I read what it actually says? How many wants to hear what it actually says? Now we, now we correct, you know, the heresy that I've just been teaching. So now we try to, to correct it. Are you ready? Acts 4.13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated men, they marveled and they realized they have been with Jesus. They saw the boldness. And you know, it... It baffled them because, you know, if you had theological training, they would go, okay, if it's Gamaliel who says this, okay, then he can say it with authority because he, he is a scholar. 
But here comes some uneducated, untrained men, and they speak with a boldness that just baffles the, 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 the religious people. They don't understand where do they have this boldness from. And they realized one thing. They had been with Jesus. Can people say that about you? That they look at you and they go, oh, he must be like, he, he, he must have been with Jesus. And then, of course, they get whipped. And I don't know what your prayer would be if you were whipped for preaching the gospel. That doesn't happen so often in Europe anymore. I have actually been beaten down one time, for, no, two times for preaching the gospel. Two times on the streets I have been knocked down because I was preaching the gospel. So, so it, do, it does happen, but it's not so often in Europe. But imagine that you just have been whipped. And you know, that was not like a little bit like, no, no, that was really whipped for preaching the gospel. What would, you, what would your prayer be like? I know my, maybe my prayer would be like, Lord, kill them. Or Lord, at least remove the whip. Or, you know, do something, Lord. But what is their prayer? Acts 4.31. No, Acts 4.29 first. Now, Lord, look at their threats and grant your servants that with boldness they may speak your word. So here they have just been whipped, punished, beaten for preaching the gospel. What is their prayer? Lord, give us the boldness to do it again. Amen. Like, that's exactly the thing that put you in, the pro in trouble the first time. Why ask for boldness to do exactly the same thing that caused problem the first time. But that was their prayer. Lord, we will not hold back. Lord, we will not stop. Lord, this is painful. My back is aching. Lord, this was not pleasant. But Lord, give me the boldness to do it again. No matter what the devil thinks. No matter what other people thinks. Their prayer was not, God, give me wisdom to avoid problems. Their prayer was, God, give me boldness to face trouble straight on and go right through it. Amen? Don't pray for an easy life. Easy life is for wimps. Now that's true. You don't get any muscles just surfing through life. Life is for heroes who are willing to face their mountains straight on. And not say, God, remove my mountains, but say, God, give me the courage to go straight through. If there is a mountain, God, I will speak to that mountain and I will level it in the name of Jesus. Amen? And then when they prayed, something happens. And this is where I'm going to be, how to say, dwelling today. Because even though now we are talking about boldness, it's not really boldness that I'm going to be talking about, but something connected with boldness. Something, boldness comes out of this thing. And if you don't have this thing, you won't really have boldness. 
So when they have prayed, it says that when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the, uh, the word of God. And it says in my translation, with all boldness. If they were bold before, now they had all boldness. If the Pharisees thought they had stopped them before, now they had more problem. Later, it says, you have filled Jerusalem with this teaching. They didn't stop. Why? Because they had the boldness to face their problem straight on. Now the question is, where did that boldness come from? And that's where I want to be talking about today. Because maybe you are sitting here and you are thinking, ah, I wish I had the courage. I wish I had the boldness to, to preach, you know, to stand up in school. And, you know, one suggestion for school, you know, before the people gets in, you know, when the school starts up again, stand up in, in class and start to preach the gospel. Amen. Maybe I should be careful of saying that online because maybe some teachers will be contacting me later. I don't know. But, you know, many people, they, they want to share the gospel, but they lack the boldness. The courage to speak. Where does boldness come from? What makes... Because I want to tell you something. Boldness is not a character trait. Many people think that. Ah, he's just so bold. That, that's just how he is. You know, when, when I was in Denmark, uh, I was working very close with an evangelist, and he is bold. And, you know, me as a soft Norwegian, oh, you know, going to the streets, you know, I knew I should do it, but it was not my favorite activity. And uh, then God places me where I have to work with this, this man, strong, powerful man of God, Torben Sønnegård, if some of you have heard of him. I don't know if any of you have heard of him. But, you know, then I was placed there, and he was so bold. And you know, for me, it was impossible to, to kind of try to hide because he had such momentum, kind of. So you kind of just got dragged out and suddenly you find yourself on the street, you know, uh, preaching the gospel and inside you are maybe like, oh, help me, God. Boldness is not a character trait. Boldness is something that comes out of something. And it's that something that I'm going to be talking about today. There were three things that they noticed, the religious leaders. They noticed their boldness, and they noticed that they were uneducated, and they noticed that they had been with Jesus. What I would like to talk about is to not underestimate the power of an encounter with God. Never underestimate the power of an encounter with God. Because where did this boldness come from? Because if you read just a few chapters before, they were hiding behind closed doors. And this was, this was after they had been walking with Jesus for three and a half years. They had been to the best Bible school in the whole world. Yet, after three and a half years... With the master himself, they were hiding behind closed doors. But then something happened. 
where Peter, who used to be so afraid that he denied Christ even before a little girl, suddenly he stands up before the crowd who a few days earlier had been saying, crucify him, crucify him. I mean, these people were vicious. And he stands up in front of that same crowd and he goes, you crucify the king of glory. You nailed the son of God to the cross. You did this. You are guilty of his blood. I mean, this is fiery preaching, talking about, you know, fire and brimstone. I mean, he didn't put, you know, he didn't try to soften the message. He was going straight on. Yet, a few days later, earlier, he had been hiding behind closed doors. He had been so afraid of, of confessing Jesus that even to a young girl, he didn't dare to say that he was one of the disciples. What made the change? What made a change was an encounter, an experience, an experience with God. And I, I have said that before, I know, but, but it's worth repeating. You know, an, an encounter with God can do more than 10 years of therapy. Much more. How powerful is an encounter with God? It is so powerful that it can take Christianity's worst enemy and turn it into Christianity's greatest asset in a matter of a few seconds. How long time, I've done this before, how long time did it take for Saul, Saul's life to be totally turn, turned around? It took Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Boom! And his life was forever changed. He went from enemy to one of the greatest apostles. If not the greatest apostle. Well, Jesus is the greatest apostle. But, you know, from here on earth. One encounter. And his life was changed. You know what people need today? They don't need theology. And I love theology. I'm one of those weird guys that when I relax at home, I read, you know, theology. But, you know, I know theology will not change your life. I will get into later that how theology plays a role. But, you know, what changes your life is an encounter. It almost pains me to say it. But, you know, 30 years from now... You will not be looking back and saying, oh yes, August the 6th, 2023. Oh, that was when Ronald was talking about having an encounter with God. I mean, I wish it was so. It almost breaks my heart to say it. But probably in 30 years, you will have forgotten my sermon. Woo! But there is one thing you won't forget. That's an encounter with God. When you have an encounter with God. And you know, one of the reasons why I talk about this is because actually this, this week that was uh, before now, uh, I was chatting with someone on the uh, internet who was sending me some questions. And he was upset because we charismatic, we focus on experience. Where he was saying, I just want the word. 
And I said, yeah, that's great. I, I agree. We, the word, anything that is not in line with the word, we throw out. But yet there is a big error in this statement. Why? Because I don't know if you realized, but God is way bigger than you can understand. How many realize that? God is way bigger than you can understand. So how can God communicate himself to you when he knows our mental capacity is not able to, to get to know him? So how can I get to know God when he is so much bigger than my mental capacity can contain? There is things in life that you never know until you experience them. You cannot maybe explain them, but yet you know them. Love. Nobody can really define love. They can write about it. They can, they can try to analyze it. They can put words down on paper. They can even write it in pink if they want to. But you, you, don't, really, you don't really know love until you have experienced it. For those of you here who are parents, you know you can read tons of books about parenting. And then you get your first child and you go, whoo, out the window with all those books. I remember, you know, before we had our first child, me and Kasha, uh, she was reading, you know, all the books and all the magazines and all these things to learn all the right things to do. And then you get the child and you go, this is not at all what these books were writing about. And then you find out that many of those who wrote those books didn't have children themselves. <laughs> but you know, there is something. Before I had children myself, when I heard children were crying on the restaurant, I didn't say it loud, but I kind of was thinking like, can somebody please make that child shut up? You know, today I am not disturbed at all if children are running in front. That's beautiful. We need noise in the church. But you know, before I got a child myself sitting on a restaurant, I was like, I'm trying to eat here. Can you please make that kid shut up? And then you get children yourself and you go to the restaurant and somebody's kid is crying and you go like, I got your brother. I have full sympathy. No worries. No, okay. You know, no worry at all. Because I have been there. I have experienced it. I could read about it in books. But my mind just couldn't comprehend it. Before I had had an experience. Then suddenly it made sense. God is way bigger than your intellect. That is why for you to really know God, you cannot rely on information alone. Why? Because God is bigger than information. And you can have the information and the information is good. But it's not until you have actually met him that you go, okay, so this is what this means. Now I understand. Now it's not just because I have heard about Jesus. Now it's because I have encountered Jesus. We should never, never, never underestimate the power of an experience with God. 
Because out of experience come transformed life. And that's one of the things that I think makes Christianity different. I know that there are people who have been, their lives have been changed through uh, personal development or new age or uh, Hinduism or Buddhism or whatever. I know there are people who find meaning in those things. But, you know, I don't know of any other faith where one comes in totally drug addict, have one encounter with God, his life is changed. I have seen that again and again. I used to work at our rehab center many years ago. So many people who come in, they had one encounter with God, they had been going to, to uh, it's interesting to see in Norway, they actually found out that Christian rehab center, they were 80% more effective than normal rehab center. Why? Because they had a secret. It was not only about the knowledge. It was about the encounter. I don't know of any other religion where you have someone can go from a Satanist to suddenly... Loving Jesus with his whole heart in one instant. Where someone can go from a drug addict to be completely set free. Where someone who has been struggling for abuse for years in one instant gets totally recovered. New heart, emotions put in place. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. But you know that happens when you don't underestimate the power of an encounter with God. We need encounters. And we need to make room for encounters. Because it is those encounters that changes the life. You know, I talked about that there are some things you just have to experience to really know. That doesn't mean that the Bible, that the Word of God is not important. Now, we love the Bible. I believe in studying the Bible. I believe in reading the Bible every day. I believe in memorizing scriptures. Everything, if there is something that is not in line with the Word of God, we throw it out right away. I believe in Logos, the written Word of God. But I also believe in Rema. The revealed word of God. You know, if I'm going to have a heart surgery and I come to a doctor and he says, Yes, yes, I have studied for many years and I have graduated with the exams. Yes, 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 I can do the surgery. And I say, oh, great, that's good to know that you have, that you have been studying and that you, have, that you have passed your exam. I mean, you don't want a doctor who didn't pass the exam, especially if you want a heart surgery, amen? So, so that's wonderful. But then he says, yes, yes, I have passed the exams. I've been studying for years, and I'm so happy to be able to do this heart surgery for you because you are actually my first patient. I guess somebody needs to be that first person, but it doesn't need to be me. <laughs> it can be somebody else. <laughs> Sorry to be a little bit selfish. But you know, of course, it's good that he has read. But if I know that he have actually never operated, I don't want him to operate on my heart. 
I want someone who has the knowledge, yes, but I want someone who knows what they are talking about. Amen? Before we go on, I should just say that if somebody wants the notes, you can go to the WhatsApp group and Isaac will upload the notes there. There's a lot of things that I, because of time, haven't had time to say, say, but you can find it there. We need knowledge. That's good. We need knowledge. We need wisdom. We need understanding. But you know, knowledge without experience always has a certain element of insecurity. Have you realized that? No matter how well that doctor has read and studied, if I am his first patient, even though he has a lot of knowledge behind him, there will be this insecurity there. Why? Because I'm the first time he actually operates. Knowledge without experience always carries with it a certain insecurity. But knowledge with experience gives an incredible authority. When you listen to someone where you know they have knowledge, but you always also realize they know what they are talking about. There is authority in their words. And that's what they notice about the first Christians. That's also what they notice about Jesus. It says, it says in Luke 4, 32, when they were listening to Jesus, it says that the people, they were astonished at his teaching. For his word was with authority. Oh yeah, now I forgot to... I get so carried away that I forget to go on. <laughs> they get, well, why was they astonished? I mean, the scribes, they also taught with authority. I mean, they had studied. But there was something else with how Jesus talked. Because people can... Did you know, people can actually realize... If you talk just out of what you have heard about Jesus, or if you talk about what you have experienced with Jesus, there is very different. You can hear two people have a testimony, and you right away know that guy, he has an experience. And you can hear this guy, yes, that's nice words, but, but there is no, there is lacking this authority behind it that only comes when you have had an, an experience with God. That's why we need to make room for experience. And that's not because we, we are flaky or that we don't believe in the, in the written word of God. No, it's because it is out of that experience that our knowledge is being made alive. It is out of the experience of the knowledge that our knowledge is being made alive. I can have the knowledge, but it's not until I have experienced that this works that I get confidence to say, I know God will provide. I, I can have the scriptures that my Lord will supply all your needs according to his riches. I can memorize the scriptures, but when I have experienced it, then I know my God will provide. I, I can memorize that God will provide all my needs. 
I can, I can know theoretically that the Bible talks about, for so God loved the world. But there's something totally different when I experience his love. Then it no longer becomes only words. Then it becomes life. You can know about the love of God, but until you have experienced the love of God, you haven't really understood the love of God. You can know that God heals, but it's not until you have experienced again and again how God heals that you go, I know my God heals. Then you get confidence. Boldness comes out of that encounter, out of that experience. Boldness comes as a result of having knowledge and experience put together. Knowledge without experience, I go, I have heard this is true, but I'm not exactly sure because I haven't really experienced it myself. Experience without knowledge goes, yes, I have experienced that God heals, but I don't really know how or when or... I don't really understand. I have experience. I have some experience, but I, I, I cannot really explain to you. Knowledge plus experience goes, I know my God heals. I know my God provides. I know God, my God answers prayers. Why? Because I have read it. I have experienced it. Equal, I know it is true. They can tell me God is not real. God doesn't heal. And I go, I know God heals. When I was little, I was supposed to have operated something into my ear because I couldn't hear properly. Then somebody prays for me. And suddenly they have their x-rays that shows that I needed an operation. Somebody prays for me. They take new x-rays. I don't need an operation. I know God heals. Amen? We need knowledge and experience. We need spirit and word. And we should never fall for the trap. Because, you know, the devil, he is not afraid of theology. Do you know that? The devil doesn't fight the theological seminaries. Either the good ones and there is a lot of bad ones too. But, you know, the devil is not afraid of theology. But there is one thing he is afraid of. And that is someone who has had an encounter with Jesus. Because he knows that someone who has an encounter with Jesus, boldness rises up inside of them. And they will speak and they will not be quiet. And even though people whip them, they will not go, oh no, let me go back and study. I probably missed theology somewhere here. No, they will say, God, give me more boldness so I can keep on. They, they don't go, when, when people criticize them, they go, oh no, probably I was wrong. I Probably I read something wrong here. No, no, they go, God, give me more courage. God, give me more boldness. God, give me more. They'll continue. Why? Because they know, they know that that is true. When you have met Jesus and people go, no, 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 Jesus is not real. It's kind of like, you know, if I put my hand in the socket, I go like, and I go like, and I go, no, 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 it's just, it's just emotions. 
I go, I have had my finger in the wall. I know electricity is real because I have, what? I have experienced it. You can say whatever you want. But I have experienced God and I know He is real. Not only because I have read about it, because I have read about it and I have experienced that what I read was true. Amen? We need power that comes out of knowledge and experience. Amen? Let me end with this. Knowledge and experience equals boldness. You can remember that. Knowledge plus experience equals boldness. Where did they have their boldness? The first disciples didn't have their boldness in their theology. The scribes, they had their boldness based in theology. And a lot of their theology was good. It was basically the Old Testament. Jesus quoted the Old Testament many times. So, so it was not that all their theology was wrong. It was just that that was the only thing they had. And Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think you have everlasting life in them, John 6. But still, because you don't have experience, the Son of Man can stand right in front of you and you don't recognize him. Why? Because you only have knowledge. The Pharisees, they had, read, they had read all the prophecy, all the, you know, all the messianic prophecies. They knew them by heart. Yet, because they didn't have an encounter, they didn't have an experience, Jesus could stand right in front of them. And they didn't recognize him. Why? Because there was no link between their knowledge and their experience. How do we experience God? That's what I want to end with. How do we experience God? We experience God when we make room. When we make room for an encounter. And this is where many people, many Christians go wrong. Because they have this attitude that, you know, yes, I want to experience God. Amen. I, I am ready. If God wants to encounter me, he knows where I live. He knows my address. I am open, God. You can come. You can encounter me. And God goes, uh-uh, that's not how it works. Many Christians, they miss their encounter. Why? Because they didn't make room for it. They were so busy living their lives, doing their own things, doing their own schedule, that they never made room for God to encounter them. First thing, if you want an encounter with God, you need to want an encounter. And I'm not only meaning this kind of want that, yeah, sure, I will have an encounter. No, no, no. You need to want to encounter God. God, Jesus, he says, don't, don't uh, throw pearls before swine. There's a lot of people who have the attitude, yes, yeah, sure, I would like to encounter God, but there is not so many people who really want to encounter God. I'm talking about desire. Desiring God. 
If you have the attitude, yeah, I'm, I, want to meet, I want to encounter God, but until he comes, I'll just sit here and browse through Netflix. You're not going to encounter God. If you want to encounter God and say, yes, 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 from now on, I want to encounter God, so I'll give God five minutes before I run off to school. I, you know, five minutes before going to school is not real. God will not be limited to five minutes before going to school. And that doesn't mean being that I'm trying to be a legalistic or anything like that. But that, you know, that doesn't work even in marriage. If I told my wife, yes, I love you, I want, to, I want to be with you, I'll give you five minutes before I start to work. She would go, no, <laughs> that doesn't work. I'm sure Martin can say the same. If he gave Trish five minutes before, uh, you know, whatever he needs to do, would that work? It would be that you, you would be sleeping on the couch. <laughs> you know, that doesn't go in relationship with our people. It doesn't go with God. If we give him five minutes here, five minutes there, no, 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 no. If you really want God, you will prioritize time to seek him. Step number two, and this is an important step, preparation. And you say, well, isn't encountering God, isn't that just, you know, to open my Bible, say, God, here, I am, here am I, and then suddenly he comes flooding in? No, 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 no. It's kind of interesting to see when you read in the book of Acts chapter 1, Jesus had promised them the coming of the Holy Spirit, the baptism in fire. He had promised them an experience. They knew an encounter was coming. And they were praying, yes. But then Peter gets up and says, okay, we used to be 12, uh, 12 disciples. Uh, one he left. Uh, we need to vote on who can be the 12th. And then amazingly, and I, this has always wondered me, they actually throw dice on who is going to be the next, you know, I'm not sure if that was the leading of the Holy Spirit or if that was the grace of God. I'm not sure. But, you know, but what, what fascinates me is that they know an encounter is coming. So what did they do? They prepared. They said, we used to be 12. Now we are 11. We are supposed to be 12. We need to find the last person so that our house is set in order for God to come. A lot of Christians, they have an encounter with God, but then they miss the momentum. Why? Because they hadn't really prepared for an encounter for God. You need to want an encounter. You need to prepare for an encounter. And then the last point, you need to seek with persistency. Because there is something with God where sometimes it says that he will hide himself. Not because, if you read the Song of Songs in the Bible, it's one of those books in the Bible that should have like a 18 years uh, limit for reading it. But, you know, if you read the Song of Songs, in, in, uh, it is about this, this kind of the lover pursuing the woman that she loves. And he, and he pursues her, and he hunts for her, and he looks for her, and where is my beloved? Where is it? And he goes for this search. It's kind of like that with God and us. 
Sometimes God, he will, will hide himself, not because he doesn't want to be found, but because he wants to be desired. So sometimes he will hide himself because he enjoys the pursuit. He enjoys the lover pursuing his love. He wants you to pursue him. So sometimes he will kind of pull a little way just to kind of see how much. How much does he want me? How much does she want me? How much will she pursue me? And it delights him. And when we desire him, when we seek him, and when he sees, ah, oh, there is someone who really loves me. There is someone who really wants to experience me. There is someone who, is, who really wants to meet with me. What does it say? Can we get the last Bible verse? Ah, there you are. Chronicle 69. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of who? Those whose heart is loyal to him. In one translation, it says, those whose heart is fully with him. You know, we are on a Sunday today. Today, all over the world, there will be Christian songs being lifted up to heaven all over the globe. And I can kind of imagine going, listening to all the praise that is racing up before the throne. And I, I can kind of imagine sometimes go like, like ah, that was, didn't sound good. Not because maybe the song quality was not good, but because the heart was not right. And then he, he looks, he looks over, he watches all the praise going up. And then suddenly he sees, ah, there, there I see something. And ah, there is someone whose heart is fully. And he goes, let me go there. Let me go there. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will go where he is desired. He will not force himself on you. He longs for you. He, he, he desires to be with you. But he will only come when he finds desire. When he finds that longing. And it's the same way, you know, with God. We need to long for him. To desire him. To, pers to persist in seeking after him. And when we do that, it says that he will show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal, fully committed to him. How is it with you? Are you do you really want to experience God? Do you prepare for experience God? Like if God came right now and encountered you in a life-transforming way, have you prepared? Are you ready for an encounter with God? If God doesn't encounter you today, will you still be here next week? Very good question. Because there is often, I have often gone to the prayer and I didn't experience anything. And then maybe later I get home and then, boom, God comes. 
Or maybe I come Sunday after Sunday, and then suddenly, that was the time where he encountered me. Are you ready for an encounter with God? Are you ready for him to invade your personal space? Because it will mean some changes. It will mean that some priorities will have to be rearranged. You don't encounter God and stay the same. You know, when I meet people say yeah, they encounter God and you look at their lives and there is no change, I go like, nah. You know, if somebody came in here and said, oh, sorry, I was late for the meeting, you know, as on the way to church, suddenly there came a big truck and drove straight over me and I was lying there on the ground and I had to get up and so sorry, I'm a little bit late. I go like, if a truck runs you over, you don't stand here just like, sorry, I'm late. It's the same way with God. God is much bigger than a truck. You don't encounter God and just stay the same. No, you encounter God and your life is forever changed. Amen? Amen. And my encouragement for all of us here today, and the worship team can get ready. My encouragement for all of us here today is that we will be people with knowledge and experience. Knowledge and experience. And we want to make room. We, we don't call people to, to prayer just to, to ha- just to fill a program in our meetings. No, no. We want people to experience God because we know and we value the power that is in an encounter with God. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here and you want to encounter, you want to encounter people here today. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit.